0: Um, we are, we love this family and they are, you know, I was trying to think, we're going to pray for them at the end and release them, commission them to go. Um, but I was just thinking about, man, what do you say, you know, about just an incredible young leader? And uh, I say young um, because I feel old. And so anyway, but I believe Mark is an incredible leader, an incredible communicator. I believe Abigail is a gifted leader as well. Um, high character, high integrity. Um, I think that's about the best thing I could say about somebody is their character and their integrity. And uh, we have been blessed for seven years at Destiny Church to have Mark and Abigail Griffith as a part of our church family. And uh, we have loved them. And uh, we have seen a lot of things happen together, a lot of growth, and uh, they are now getting ready to move to St. Louis to continue their ministry journey. Um, But I want you guys um, to welcome to our stage today, for the last time as our Marshfield campus pastor, Pastor Mark Griffith. Oh,
1: stop it. Stop it. Too early to be crying. Sit down. love you guys. Grateful to be here. Come on, is it good to be in the house of God on a Sunday morning? Praise the Lord, man. Hey, uh, Chad already said it. If you don't know, my name's Mark. I'm the campus pastor at Destiny Church in Marshfield. And Destiny Church is one church in two locations. Our other location is obviously here at Republic. Welcome. And come on, are you grateful for your lead pastor, Chad, and his wife, Tasha. Hey, a little over a year ago, we were having conversations, and you know, we have this burden to better disciple the people of God. I think some holes were punched in the church in 2020, where when we weren't able to be spoon-fed at our local bodies, at our local gatherings, we saw a little bit of the church body fall apart. Is that honest to say? I, I know maybe that's not the most encouraging thought to start with, but... We we got to this place where we're like, hey, we we have to do a better job as a church discipling the people of God. And a part of that solution for us was, I think we need to make a shift in what we're doing on Sunday mornings. Uh, Before, we had always done topical preaching. Nothing against topical preaching. It's beneficial this summer. We just did a topical series, but we felt like the people of God would benefit significantly if we would take time to go through the scriptures verse by verse. And so I like to use the analogy of painting a wall. If uh, we're going verse by verse, then we paint that thing nice and evenly. When we do topical preaching, we might paint over here a little bit, then next week we're kind of over here, and then we're over here, but I think when we go verse by verse, we're held accountable to preach the word through and through, whether we get canceled or not. Amen? Come on, the word of God is beneficial, it's fruitful for teaching and uh, rebuking and training in righteousness, and so I'm excited for us to go on this journey through the book of James. Now, if you've spent any time in James, uh, man, he's hard-nosed. It's some hard truth. It's this combination of, uh, it's almost like the New Testament's Proverbs. It's full of wisdom. I know it's going to challenge you. It's going to convict you. So are you ready, Destiny Church, to go on a journey through the book of James? I hope you are. I hope you are. You know, uh, I think it's important as as we come to the text that we grow in our understanding of what is this letter that we're reading? Who wrote the letter? Uh, So much of understanding the Bible is not just, we, we love to fast forward to the application part, but it's mightily important to understand, okay, what was the author's original intent And what did his original audience look like? I didn't finish Bible school, but I took a couple Bible school classes, and we learned about the principalizing bridge. Come on, y'all didn't know you were in the classroom this morning. Welcome. (laughs) Yeah, y'all just call me Professor Mark Griffith from now on. (laughs) And so we want to find, you know, what, are, what, what was that original audience like? What was the culture, what was the context of their culture? What did the author originally intend as he wrote to them? Then we take some time to decipher and discern, okay, what are the differences between them? What are the similarities between us? Then we apply the word to ourself to most appropriately and accurately glean from the scriptures what's there. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so today I just want to take a little bit of time. I'm, I'm going to do this 50-50 thing, okay? Uh, last week, I, I know Chad went off script. He didn't give you the background, so I'm going to try to cover some of the background here. Come on, was last week powerful or what? Come on, a, amen. I watched online and uh, I was crying by myself in my bedroom. It's none of your business, so just <laughs> leave I'm just, just kidding. So, so we're going to try to set up some of the context of this letter, and then I'm going to blitz through verses 1 through 4. Does that sound okay? All right, so we'll start in John 7, because we got this guy James. James wrote the letter. Who is James? And so we'll find out he's the brother of Jesus, the half-brother, because Jesus had an earthly mom, but he had a heavenly father. Why? The sin of man is in the seed of man. So with no earthly father involved, he is fully God, fully man. That one's free. Let's look at it. John 7, verses 1 through 5, says this. Jesus is, just leading up to this point, Jesus has gone all over the place. He's performing miracles, he's uh, revealing his messianic nature, but I think people thought that it was going to be this public spectacle, and it's been more of kind of this private secret as Jesus is slowly releasing the revelation of who he is during his time on earth. By the way, if you're joining us online, welcome, we're so glad that you're with us. Share this message, get it all over Facebook, Amen. So John 7, here we are. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Because verse 5, we'll read, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. Even his brothers didn't believe in him. This would include then who? James. Jesus replied, now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. Come on, I feel like preaching this morning. Can we pray? Can we pray? And then I'll jump into it. Jesus, we love you so much. We invite your presence here to come. Holy Spirit, till the soil of our hearts. Let it be fertile ground to receive the seed of your word. Uh, We don't want to just come in week after week and hear your word. We want to apply it to our lives. There's transformative power in your words. Holy Spirit, equip us, enable us to Receive this word in a way where it's going to transform our character to be more like Christ. We want to look more like Jesus, think more like Jesus, talk more like Jesus. And so as we go through this thing verse by verse, I pray that you'd use it in a mighty way. And the whole church said, amen. amen. I don't know if you've ever been the person or had the friend who throws out some crazy fact about themselves, and you're like, that's not true. Like, you got your 5'5 uh, friend who's got a vertical of three inches, and they're like, yeah, I can dunk a basketball, and you're like, no, you can't. No, you can't. I don't believe you. I swear, man, I can, for real. Then we're going to go right now, okay? If you can really dunk a basketball, then, then, then let's go right now. This is kind of the tone of this conversation with Jesus and his brothers. If you're so great, you know there's, there's been this slow release of revelation that he might be the Messiah. I don't know, there's, there's mumbles, there's grumbles. If you're so great, if, if, then why don't you go to Jerusalem? Why don't you go to the festival and do your works there? It's almost as if his brothers are being antagonistic or condescending in their tone. Jesus isn't going to the festival in Judea, not because he's scared to be killed, but because he's in perfect submission to the Father. Come on, sometimes there's going to be peer pressure to go one way, but sometimes you got to be so confident in your calling that even when they're pulling on you, it's like, I'm in perfect submission to his timing. I'm not scared to die. That's going to happen. It's just not the time right now. He has the kingdom of God to establish. Amen. And so he's not going to go, because if he goes, he's going to be killed. Jesus is revealing his messianic nature all over the region of Galilee. But it's it's understood here that the people in Jerusalem, in Judea, where the religious leaders are, they frown upon the Jews in Galilee. And so it's cool that Jesus has done some miraculous things in this area, but it's because of where and who he's involved with, it's easy to discredit his ministry. This is, what, this is what's happening from the religious leaders. He's, he, he's, re, he's revealing, you know, it, it's thought that this Messiah would come and it would be spectacular. It would be loud. He would set the Jews free from their oppression. And Jesus' ministry has looked nothing like that. He's had humble beginnings, right? It, it's kind of this quiet release uh, of his power and his nature. And so uh, there's confusion like, nah, there's no way this guy can be, we don't know who he is. We don't know what his deal is. They're discrediting him. John 7, Jesus' brother said to him, leave here, go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. It would appear that his brothers are almost baiting Jesus. If he really is the Messiah, prove it by going and working your miracles in Jerusalem. Now, my whole point of walking through this is not to break down what the festival means, to talk about Jerusalem as the epicenter of uh, uh, Judaism, uh, is none of that. I just want you to see where James starts. He's a skeptic, but he's going to start James 1.1. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. How do you go from skeptic to slave? Come on, when you encounter Jesus, everything can change. It doesn't matter where you start. doesn't matter how broken you are. I'm jumping ahead, but I just felt like prophesying to the room that it doesn't matter where you are, God can stir something up in you that your life can look never look the same. Why? Because his word says that we were created through him and for him. I say this every time I come preach. I'll keep saying it every time I preach. We're God's masterpiece. Created anew in Christ Jesus to do good things. God's got good plans on your life, and we can never get too far away. where we we disqualify us from those things. I don't know. There's something about an encounter with Jesus that can change everything. Take you from a skeptic to a slave of Christ Jesus as well. You know, we see in Acts 1, James shows up on the scene. Jesus resurrects from the grave. He's getting ready to ascend. He has a quick chat. I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to give you all power to do this ministry thing. And then he just, and everybody's just, all the, you know, the disciples are just watching him take off and then angels pop up and they're like, just wait in the upper room, just wait in the upper room because he's going to deliver a promise, which we know is the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? But we'll see as we read that text that James is there. Now that's weird because James was like, First, baiting Jesus. He was kind of be condescending. He was a skeptic. But now we go through the text with nothing said in the Gospels, nothing said in Acts. Why is James present now? Why is James one of the disciples now? What happened? Well, we secretly find out as we move into 1 Corinthians 15. It's randomly mentioned in one of Paul's letters. And we find out like halfway through the New Testament. Let's read this. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he says, he's talking about Jesus. He says, this is uh, 15 verse 4, he says, he was buried, talking about Jesus. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures say. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by... James is not originally one of the 12. So at some point, Jesus made a special trip to his brother and revealed himself to him. This is what many scholars believe to be this transition, this pivot spot in James' life where everything changes, because then we're going to see James in the book of Acts, and when Jesus resurrects, he's on the scene, he's going to be in the upper room when the Holy Spirit's poured out, he's going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, he's going to be filled with power to do the work of the ministry. Then they're going to end up calling him Apostle James. Matter of fact, there's this instance in the scriptures, it's Acts 15, you have a man named Paul who has this radical transformation, you all still with me? Okay. We're still in class. I'm going to get to the verses. I'll preach those. Just, just hang with me. This is set up. Is this okay? Yeah. All right, so it's Acts 15. You got Paul and Barnabas. They're walking around doing ministry. They walk into a place called Antioch. Antioch's like, yeah, you got to be circumcised and believe in Jesus. Paul's like, wrong, just Jesus. They're like, no, you got to be circumcised. You got to be circumcised. That's not a word. You got to be you gotta be. You've got to be snipped, then you can get saved. You know what I'm saying? That's what it's, and he's like, what? No, that's definitely not it. That's exactly what the scriptures say, I promise you. Paul's like, all right, got to figure this out. we got to figure it out. So him and Barnabas, they take a trip to Jerusalem because they know that the, 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 the main church, the primary church is there, and they can settle this dispute. And so Paul walks in with Barnabas and he's like, hey, you know, this church in Antioch, they think that you got to do this. And he's like, I tried to tell him it was just Jesus. It's, it's by grace and grace alone. It's by grace through faith so that no man can boast in his works. And if we have to get circumcised, then that's works. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is not about who I am. It's who Jesus is. We were dead in our sin, and his grace covered us. Amen? It is not my work. If i got to work for it, then it ain't the gospel. The purity of the gospel is you and I could do nothing. It's the grace of God. So what do I tell them? And you'll see. I actually want to read it to you. It's a short verse, but it says this. Acts 15, verse 13. When they had finished... I don't know if you got this on the screen. When they had finished. Who? James. James. Well, if I uh, do say so myself. (laughs) Look at you, boy. The chairman of the church now. And you didn't even believe. Come on, one encounter with Jesus can change everything. One encounter with Jesus can make your life, take your life from looking radically different than you ever thought it would. Some of y'all don't even know the purpose that's been buried in your soul. Jesus, I believe he's trying to pull it out of you this morning. I read James's story, and I know it's just set up, but there's something that testifies to my spirit of, boy, don't you ever give up. Don't you ever feel too broken. Don't you ever feel too stupid. Don't you ever feel too sinful. He is able. I get encouraged reading James' story. And then, you know, we don't read it in the scriptures technically, But history will suggest that James will be martyred for the gospel. That James will be killed. James goes from mocker to martyr. It's a big deal, but it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Faith in Jesus will make you new. It's through faith in Jesus where your life comes into alignment with your divine assignment. Y'all got me? I made it rhyme so it sound good. Yeah, I like to do that stuff sometimes. You know, when we place faith in Jesus, he, he, puts, he deposits his spirit in us. And he wants to give you power to carry out your kingdom calling. I already told you, he has good things planned for your life. That doesn't mean they won't be hard. That doesn't mean they won't have the context of persecution. But they'll be good amen, his plans will be good, and we have to do, uh, align our, our thoughts on goodness with his thoughts on goodness, because the cross was good, brutal, painful, but it was the best thing that humanity ever experienced, amen, so, so what we see is as we place faith in Jesus, we come into alignment with our divine, okay, pretty good, half the room, they were listening over there, praise God, <laughs> And we'll see this to be true with James. One of the good things James is going to do is he's, he's going to write a letter that would stay in the church for the rest of history. And that's the letter you and I are going to read through. It's that letter that's going to continue to minister to every believer that sits down with a coffee and they're on their couch for a morning devotional. It's this letter. This is one of the good things that God had assigned for James to complete. So a couple of things that I just want to talk about quick, and then I'm going to get to verses 1 through 4. But, but I want to first address, just so we have an awareness, to whom did James write? I'm going to answer two questions. To whom did James write? And why did James write it? He opens this, the letter up with this in James 1.1. 1, 1. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers, scattered abroad now you have to consider jews of this day they're being oppressed by the roman army we know that we have that context we've all been in church on easter and so so rome is uh oppressing the jews and they're experiencing persecution and rejection in their culture but at least they had the other Jews. But as there's now Jews placing faith in Jesus and believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that's causing disagreement with even their Jewish brothers and sisters now. So, so they're being oppressed from here, they're being rejected and neglected from here. And so the Jewish believers he's writing to, they've been scattered from persecution that we've seen early in the book of Acts, they're not experiencing the greatest of times. They probably don't feel real encouraged they probably don't feel real surrounded. Part of what makes this audience of Christian Jews so unique is the rejection and hardship that they were experiencing. And so as we observe the text of this letter, it also implies that most of these Christian Jews who would have received this, they're probably poor and they're being oppressed by the rich and their neighbors. Okay? Okay. Number two, why did James write this letter? As we venture through this book together, you'll begin to gain context for why James wanted to write this letter and why it was so important. One of the first things we see is that obviously the demographic he's writing to, they're experiencing difficult times. And so we'll see he starts off the letter, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. He's writing that because they're in it. It was common for this demographic to be walking through difficulty. Some of the believers are compromising and catering to the rich, while others are being robbed by the rich. Church members are competing for offices in the church, especially teaching offices. They're fighting over authority. Uh, One of the major problems with the church is that they don't walk what they talk amen so they're 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 not living what they're preaching gossip is creating division in the church and so he's going to take some time to address the tongue and teach that the spirit can give us power over those things there's a ray of dysfunction this doesn't sound anything like the like the i don't know maybe this is a great time for the american church to go through the letter of james all these problems are, are linked back to though and this is this is really what we get out of the book of james he can go around and he will take time to address the different fruits. But all these dysfunctional fruits that are growing are the root of one thing, spiritual immaturity. Yeah. Yeah. And so James's heart behind writing this letter is I want to see the church grow up. I want to see you guys mature. And if we will mature in the spirit, a lot of these things will go away and be minimized. So he starts addressing spiritual maturity. And as you go through the book of James, there's really going to be these five marks of what the spiritually mature Christian will do. But I just want to address one of them today. And so I'm going to move into verses uh, one through four and talk a little bit about uh, how the spiritually mature, if you are spiritually mature, it'll be seen in the way that you handle conflict. It'll be seen in the way that You walk through trial. Okay? So uh, let's read this together. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Y'all still with me? Okay. James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles of any kind come your way, Consider it an opportunity for great joy. James, now I think what we would like it to say, or what makes sense to us is, we would, don't you mean to ask God to remove my persecution? Don't you mean to ask God to remove my pain, to take away my problems? James says, nope, I don't want to remove your pain, persecution, or problems. I want to deal with your perspective. Woo! You're going to like this one. I got got something here. Because we love the gift of deliverance, but mature believers also love the gift of development. And you know where, come on, you know where development happens? In the womb of trial, in the womb of trouble. But here's what happens: A lot of us, we want to c-section our way out of the room, the womb of trial, and then we're premature spiritual babes. We need to let the womb do the work. Woo! I hope that didn't go too quick. But come on, there, there's something about trials where when you mature spiritually, you know that God's sovereign over all of it, and you can walk through them trusting, believing. This is a gift of trouble. God, you're producing something in me. This is good for me. God, I can rejoice through this because I know you're above it all. The victory's already been won. I'm not going to whine and complain and hit the eject button. I'm going to press in even more. I'm going to be faithful through it. I'm going to consider it pure joy. Some of us, our prayers need to change. Not to fix your problem. God, fix my perspective. James in verse 3, he shares why we can have new perspective as we persevere through these problems. He says, for you know that when your faith is tested, when your faith is tested, come on, some of us have walked through some hard things and then it's turned into, God, I thought you were good. God, I, God, I thought you, when your faith is tested. So anyone had their faith tested in the room? Yeah, yeah, so when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Your endurance has a chance to grow. I looked this word up. Hupalmene. That's what that word endurance means. Hupalmene. And the definition is this, uh, is this. In the New Testament, it's the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety but even the, by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Yeah. I don't know, there's, you know. Some of us, man, we, we want to be who God's called us to be. We want to step into the mighty things that he's prepared for us. We love the truth that he has a hope and a future for our lives. And you know, those people were in slavery when they got that word, right? Come on, if there's faithfulness, if there's perseverance, I don't know, we come out the other end more equipped, more fully prepared for the things that God has. And I don't know about you, but I want to step into those things. Why? Because this life isn't my own. It's his. He's the author. He's the one who gets glory. And so, man, he he deserves to be worshipped and pursued in the good times and the bad. We can trust in the hope that he's using all of it. There's a calling on our lives to cultivate some spiritual fervor and some holy grit. And when you're at that moment of like, I don't know if I can do this, like, that's where we lean in. And that's where you discover something beautiful. Amen? Yeah. That's verse 3, verse 4. Going through them quick, but had a lot to cover this morning. James 1, 4. It says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, this won't be the last time that we see this word perfect in James. James uses this word perfect. So let your endurance develop, so then you'll be perfect and complete. And I think it's important that we look at the original meaning of this word, because I I think it's important that we clarify the intended meaning of this word, because we can contaminate the purity of the gospel, and we don't want to do that. Because the beauty of the gospel is that humanity, who is not good, who is not perfect, and who is incapable of being perfect on their own, come on, man, if we could get it right ourselves, what's the cross for? Why wouldn't it just work until you get there then? If we can't achieve it, no, the cross gave us a way out of a way where there was no way out. Like, like, like a road going through a sea, amen? He, it, it did for us what we could not do for ourselves. It, it, we are saved by a good God who sends Jesus Christ to the earth to live a perfect life that you and I could not live, right? Who, who would take on the sin of the world and the wrath of God upon himself. So if we would place faith in his sacrifice being sufficient we would get His goodness imparted to us. We would get His righteousness imparted to us. We don't have to do anything for it, but believe. It is by faith, by believing. Why? Why? That doesn't make sense. Why would He do something like that? Because He's gracious. And it's His kindness that leads us to repentance. It's through faith. It's not by work. And as we go through the book of James, we have to keep the perspective that this book is written, not so it can teach you how to work harder to get saved. It's, it's to teach you how to work harder, to press in, to persevere, to be spiritually mature. Yes. What I don't want to happen is we read this verse in James in a way that relates to Salvation instead of maturity, and we walk away thinking, all right, I need to endure, I, I need to endure, I, I need to do it all right, I need, to, I need to never cry about anything again, and then I can get to heaven. And it's like, that's not what that means. Did another word study on this word perfect here. Teleos. Teleos, this word perfect. and By definition, it's actually not a reference to sinless perfection, um, The definition actually is brought to its end, completeness, the consummation of human integrity, virtue, full-grown, mature, about being made whole, all the parts being fully grown to operate fully. It's about the development of our Christian character. You know, how well we steward our struggles, so important. Reveals so much about who we are and where we are. and How we steward our struggles is, it directly testifies to how spiritually mature we are too. You know, for example, you're frustrated, you're mad, you're upset, life's challenged you right now. And you think you're spiritually mature, but you're also on Facebook starting off your post with, warning, rant coming. (laughs) You ain't spiritually mature. You ain't. And we laugh. But I'm I'm friends with some of y'all on Facebook. I'm just... Come on, if you've ever written a post. Warning, rant coming. I love you. But chances are, You're just not that spiritually mature yet. Because it's not about walking through our trials and airing it out. And and how we steward our struggles is so important. Can I use another one? Can I do another one? Okay. If, If we're walking through trials and we're isolating and we're down in the dumps and we're neglecting the things we know we're supposed to be doing, I love you. But chances are, we're just not that spiritually mature yet. Yeah. So Some of y'all are in the room walking around through trials, trauma, and drama. And, and really what you need to do is you need to take inventory of your thoughts and your actions and your words while you're in the middle of it because they're going to tell you something. So Holy Spirit, convict our hearts right now. What, what about my words needs to change? What about my actions need to change? Because matter, I, I know I'm walking through it, but I know you use these things, and, and you're good, and you're above these things. So what are you trying to do in me? I trust you. We need to honestly assess, have I handled this trial in a spiritually mature manner by thanking God for it? By praising God through it, by loving people well through it, because I'll tell you what, when I'm when I'm walking through it, it's real easy to yell at my kids. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is. No parents want to testify. You just want to leave me out here vulnerable on stage. That's fine. Come on, it's it's easy when you when when we're walking through it to walk into work and I don't know. Just I'm gonna figure it out. You know, just whoa whoa whoa. No, we're believers filled with the spirit of God, right? Who is, we actually, we walk through trials and it's, man, how are you doing? Honestly, it has been difficult, but I trust God's doing something in it. What did you need help with? <laughs> That's what it looks like, baby. We won't always get it right, but there's some, I don't know. I, I think the best fruit is produced through faithfulness because what faithfulness you know we're going to be in all different types of seasons where things are good things are bad things are easy things are hard got a lot of money got a little money got a lot of influence got a little influence but what what the beauty of faithfulness is it doesn't it takes out uh, and, and you know who a lot of you know who the prince of the air is You know who can sometimes shake everything around you? We have a spiritual enemy who can shake everything around you. But if you learn to be faithful in every season, all of a sudden we've disarmed the enemy of some of his greatest weaponry. I'm going to be faithful, man. I'm going to endure. And when we get to that place, come on, you're going to be looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the spirit. Amen? (laughs) Strong in spirit. I don't know. I was trying to think of someone really smart mature in the spirit. Anyone want to be mature in the spirit? Yes. Man, if we, uh, Elliot, if you want to jump on keys, man, that'd be great. Do you love Pastor Elliot? Yes. Here's some of the beauty of following Jesus. This is like a cheat code, man. Genesis 50:20. you go through the whole story of Joseph. His brothers throw him into slavery. And, man, he's in the pit, he's in the palace. I know we've heard stories about it and but in, in, in Genesis 50, 20, the story concludes with like what the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. Okay? What the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. So sometimes we get stuck in these places of like, is God doing this? Or did the enemy do it? Or, or what's happening? What, what's going on? Is, is it something I did? Is it something other? And it's like, honestly, It doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter you know we can pray god god what are you trying to teach me but here's what i know whether it's from god or whether it's from the enemy it's all getting used for good and if we can keep that perspective spiritually mature believer it doesn't matter what we walk through We can continue to abide in Jesus. We can continue to grow in Jesus. We can continue to produce spiritual fruit. We can continue to reap the eternal rewards that are set before us. Come on, I know. And it's like sometimes we get bad, we feel bad about talking. It's not about that. It's just about Jesus. Well, he's the one who put the reward system in there in the first place. So that's fine. But if he has rewards, I want them. Amen ain't going to be ashamed about it. God, I, you know, and he, and he does these things to spur us on into a walk that's full of enthusiasm and zeal and fervor and faithfulness. And man, I get excited to think about a church that is unrelenting, that is unwavering in their faith. What would that testify to the world? Come on, I don't know. What, what would it say to our kids where when we walk through the most difficult of times, we rejoice through them? What would it say to the lost workers in the office when, I don't know, there's a different joy there's a different peace that I carry as I walk through some of the most painful things in my life and when they're downcast and when they're uh, maybe we can introduce them to the great comforter. It doesn't matter where it comes from. What we know, what we're guaranteed is God will use it for good. Amen. I think above all that, man, when, because, man, this life is about him. It's not our life. It's not about us, you know? Think of the verse, that, man, is, I think it says it in Isaiah and in Acts. I think it's Peter quoting Isaiah. It might be Peter, I don't know. I need to read my Bible more. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Man, we get so distracted thinking about us, thinking about me. When it's like, man, my life is just, my life's a letter being written by the Holy Spirit for other people to read. And so, God, help us to get our eyes off of ourselves. Help us to get our eyes on You, and say, I know it's, I, I know. And He says, I know it's hard. I know you're hurting, but seek me out. I'm using all this. I'm using all this. I'm using it all together for good. I don't know who needs to hear it this morning, but He loves you. He's so gracious. And if we will just continue to abide and allow the pen to remain in His hand, I know it'll be hurtful sometimes, but I promise you it's going to be good. Man, He can care for you better than you can care for yourself. So when we consider it pure joy when, when we will fix our perspective on pain, problems, and persecution. It takes the glory off of us, puts the glory on Him. And I know we want to live lives that bring glory to God. Amen.